Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. My friends, it is officially summer. Welcome to June. Today is June 7th, and I'm really happy that you're joining us. I want to tell you that these next couple of weeks are going to be some of my favorite weeks on the happy hour. You should know that starting right now in the month of June, we will just be releasing one show a week. So every Wednesday, you will get a podcast from us. We will not have shows on Friday. And we're starting our encounter series. Now we did this last year, and it's just my favorite thing. And I'll tell you the reason I wanted to do this is because gosh, I say it all the time, stories change the world. That is what this podcast is about, is sharing stories. And I really do know that so many people's lives are changed from hearing other people's stories. And so I thought to myself, what better story than the story that people have of their encounters with Jesus? And what made them want to follow him? What made them want to give their lives to Christ? So this summer, we're focusing all on that. Every story that you're going to hear this summer is someone's testimony. It's their story. How did they start to follow Jesus? What did their life look like before? And what does their life look like now? Before I get to our first guest today, which I'm so excited about, I want to tell you, I have a really big announcement coming out in my newsletter on Sunday. So you want to make sure that you are subscribed to my newsletter. It's super easy. Go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter, and there you can sign up. I'm just letting you know, it's a big announcement. It involves some of my friends and it involves traveling and I should stop talking or I'll give it away. So make sure you're subscribed because it's going out Sunday to my newsletter list. In order to subscribe, go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter. And then on Sunday, if you know you're subscribed, make sure you check around, check those folders and make sure it didn't go to spam or something like that because it's a big announcement, you guys. Today's guest is Joanne Doyle. And I first heard about Joanne when her book, Women Who Risk, came across my desk maybe a year and a half ago. The book is called Women Who Risk, Secret Agents for Jesus in the Muslim World. And I knew that I was intrigued by the title. I knew that I eventually wanted to read it, but it got put on the shelf with hundreds of other books that I know I want to read someday. And then if you remember, if you listened to our Unreached People Group series back in April, Jessica Hutz was on and Jessica told me about this book and she pushed me into wanting to read it. And so I devoured it in the month of May and invited Joanne to come on and really share stories of women that she knows that have had encounters with Jesus in the Muslim world and have put their faith in Jesus. They have turned away from Islam and turned toward Christianity. You guys, the stories that Joanne shares with us today are so beautiful. She shares three stories today. Two of them are in the book, but there's so much more detail in the book. So I just want to recommend, go get this book. It's a great summer read. It really pushes you to love God more, hearing other people's stories. You guys, we have some great episodes coming up this month. We've got Tessa Afshar, Inez Franklin, Tony Collier, Alicia Britcholi. So many amazing friends stop by to share their story with us. Friends, before we jump into hearing today's encounter story, I wanted to take a moment to share the story of another life changed through the gospel by the intentional generosity of a listener just like you. 21-year-old Jojean packs her old backpack and prepares to go to school with a spring in her step. She hops over a smelly sewer and waves goodbye to a few children playing carefree in the crowded alley. They are her street students, and she knows every one of them by name. Goodbye, ma'am, Jojean, they yell. Jojean is in her second year at college, studying to be a teacher. Her dream has always been to be an educator, 
It isn't the loftiest of professions in the Philippines, but it will bring Jojean closer to children and youth. Jojean explains, I want to teach little children poverty and give them hope because I experienced firsthand how to hold on to hope even in the direst of circumstances. Problems and hopelessness had become commonplace even when she was little. When Jojean was just two years old, Carmelita held her daughter close and whispered a shocking truth. I remember vividly what my mother said when I was very young, Jojean shares. She revealed that I was adopted and that my biological mom was a prostitute. No one knows for sure who my father was, but people suspected it was a drunk friend who took advantage of my mother. Carmelita raised Jojean as her own. It was Carmelita who brought little Jojean to church and asked the church leaders to include her daughter in Compassion's sponsorship program. She was registered at this local church where she learned about God and met the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She received school tutorials, had regular medical checkups, and met lifelong friends. It was also at the Compassion Center where Jojean first fell in love with teaching. Before she reached high school, the center staff saw her potential and tapped her to teach younger sponsored children. Jojean is forever grateful for all the support and opportunities she received from church and compassion. Today, she's working to fulfill her dream of helping children in poverty, just as she has been helped, through the love of Christ and the generosity of her compassion sponsor. Friends, if you've been around here for a while, you know I love Compassion International. Compassion International is working to release children from poverty in Jesus' name through its one-on-one child sponsorships. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, your $43 a month will provide food, clean water, education, medical and dental checkups, and above all else, the ability to learn about Jesus and flourish through the local church. But your Compassion sponsorship doesn't just provide the needs of the child. Compassion cares for the whole family and their community. There are more than 100,000 children awaiting sponsorship. Listeners of the Happy Hour have partnered with Compassion throughout the last couple of years, accounting for more than 500 sponsorships. We hope to add to this number through our Summer Encounter series with the goal of 200 new sponsorships. To partner with Compassion in bringing hope to a child today, simply text IVY Media. That's I V E Y Media to 83393 or go to compassion.com slash media. The link is also in the show notes. That's compassion.com slash media. Together, you and I can partner with the global church to give transformational hope to families around the world. Now here is our encounter story for today. Joanne, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. I'm so excited to finally be with you. (laughs) I'm excited to have you here as well. And today is the very first uh, episode in our series called Encounter. And we've done this for the past couple of years. And really, Joanne, I'm just going to say it's one of my favorite things that I get to do is really Mm. invite people on and say, tell me how you met Jesus. Tell me how this happened. Tell me all the things. And so you're kicking us off. So I'm super excited to have you. Wow. Well, that's really exciting. Thank you. I didn't know this was the kickoff series. And I love that because we all have a story to t- tell, don't we? It's so true. We all it's had so encounters true. with Jesus. That's right. He's yes. a living God. Okay, before we jump into why I picked you for this day and what we're going to talk about, tell me what you do uh, in life. Okay. Well, I, um, my husband and I have been married, gosh, almost 44 years, 43 years. I'm getting ahead of myself, 43 <laughs> years. And so the first like 20 years of our marriage, Tom was a pastor. So we were in the pastor role, pastor's wife role. Then right before 9-11, God called us to work in the Middle East um, on the mission field. 
knowing that we would stay here in the States, but go back and forth in various Middle East countries. So we have a ministry called Uncharted Ministries, and we go on uncharted places where most people don't want to go. The small villages and the scary countries and you know, all within the Middle East. And we are seeing Muslims come to faith in Christ. Um, our women's division of Uncharted is called Not Forgotten because none of us are forgotten. Yeah. And that would include Jewish and Muslim women. They need de Jesus desperately, just like we do. And so we are seeing them come to faith in Jesus as well. It's so amazing. So I want to tell the listener how I actually got connected with you. So you and your husband wrote a book called Women Who Risk, Secret Agents for Jesus in the Muslim World. And I have personally been telling everyone I come in contact about this book for the last month that I've been, been reading it. But I want to say this, the book released, I don't know, 2022. Is that when it came out? That's a good question. Well, isn't that terrible? I should know. It's okay. That it's heart, okay. Right? <laughs> it came out sometime, not this year. Like it's not like a new, new release. No. So the not book came, new, but it's our latest book. Yes. Yeah. So the book came through my office, just like a lot of books come do come through. And I looked at it and I thought, huh, I'm really intrigued by this. So I put it on my shelf mm -hmm. knowing one day I hope to get around to read this book. It's, it, I knew where it was. It's one of those books that I'm like, I want to read this book. Well, then I was interviewing Jessica Hutz, who was on a couple of weeks ago. And I'm telling her, we're talking about something, probably about Muslim women or something. And I, she brought up your book, I believe. And I was like, I have that book. And so she raised about you guys. And it's, and I told her I'm going to start that book tonight. And so I started reading the book and then I haven't been able to stop talking about it. And then I knew Aww. I want you to come on and talk about these stories that you put in these books that are so beautiful for our encounter series. So first up, I want you to explain the book, Women Who Risk, and then we're going to jump into our conversation. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you. What an honor that you have been encouraged by these words. And, you know, it's funny when my husband wrote his very, I guess maybe it was his second or third book called Dreams and Visions. One of the things I encouraged him to do, I said, Tom, and he's an Irish storyteller, just tell the stories, write the stories as if you would tell them. And that is the best way that I think that we communicate with one another. So that's kind of how all the different books that he's written and then this one that we've written together, how we've done it, um, Jamie. And that is to tell a story. That is how we communicate. That's how Jesus communicated, right? With parables. And so we thought, you know, God has so blessed Tom and I to get a front row seat of what's happening in the Muslim world. And when we watch the news, that is not the message we get. You know, we think that we as followers of Christ are losing the battle, but that is not the case. You know, man, God is on the move. Muslims are coming to Christ by the droves. In fact, we have a little saying. We say that God is running a special on Muslims. So many are coming to faith in Jesus. So we wanted to write a story all about women, Muslim women that have come to faith in Christ. Because what we noticed through, you know, the last 20 years of working in the Muslim world is that typically it's the women that are leading the way. You know, the women are the spiritual gatekeepers, and they're the ones that influence their families and their households. So we thought, okay, let's start with all these stories just about women and tell them, and you know, tell the readers how their journey to Christ led them, as you're saying, to an encounter with the living God. You know, I find it so interesting, Joanne, that you guys are talking about how a lot of women are are leading the front and coming to follow Jesus within their their houses and their in their communities, when in fact women I, I think this is true. I don't know if it's a generalization. I think this would be a true statement. Most women in most Muslim countries have no authority. Like they're, they're, oh my gosh, yes. They're not able to make decisions. Everything changes once they get married to their husband. And I just think, look at God. 
wouldn't he use the people who the, the world and their communities say you are the least of these and he would use them to reach their their homes and their and their cities and their communities for Jesus. Isn't that crazy? It's absolutely such a paradox because you're right. The Muslim woman has no rights. In fact, but little girls learn at a really young age that they have no value. Mm. And so they're, they are raised in a society where they feel very um, unseen, unheard, forgotten. And yet, who has God created them to be? Right. Um, In fact, we see this pattern of being a spiritual gatekeeper. We see this all throughout scripture. And I think it started in Genesis. In Genesis chapter two, Adam realized that he was incomplete without a helpmeet. And so God said, I'm going to make someone suitable for you. And he uses the word azer, which means, you know, helper. But not a, um, it's not a negative word. It's not a weak word. It's he was incomplete until God brought someone along that would fulfill that need where he was lacking. And so that's what we see in, the, in again, throughout the pages of scripture. Look at Deborah. She rose up as one of the greatest prophets of all time. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And I let you know my favorite women to follow are the ones um, that were the women that provided for Jesus and his disciples. We see them first in the Sea of Galilee area. They're providing for Jesus and his disciples financially in a world that's a, a male-dominated society. We see them next at the cross. Remember, all the disciples have fled in fear except for John. And there are those faithful women standing at Jesus' side, watching him die this horrific death on a cross. Then three days later, there are those ladies again, carrying those 70 plus pounds of anointing spices, disciples still hiding in fear, and they go to the tomb and they're the ones that discover Jesus is alive. The first ones to see the resurrection. They run back, they tell the disciples, who by the way, don't believe them, and the disciples run to see for themselves and they discover he is alive. And so women today are still often the first ones in their families to come to faith in Jesus and they bring that good news back to their families. And that happens no matter what culture you're looking at or religion whether it's Jews, whether it's Muslims, whether it's evangelicals. So yes, God has given us as women this incredible privilege of being the spiritual influencers in our in our lives and in our families. It is so beautiful and it is such a gift. And I just think when there are so many times people can think that like women don't have a voice and they might un- not understand how much God loves women. And then to look at all the examples Jesus walked through and be like, God has such a tender heart in this place for women and he's using us. Okay, so your book, Women Who Risk, Secret Agents for Jesus in the Muslim World. I devoured this book, Joanne. I mean, I just was like, I just, I got to keep going. And basically, you're just telling stories. You've taken uh, women's stories in the Muslim world. Uh, There are seven different stories, and you let them tell their stories in their words. And so I just want to ask you, will you tell us a story or two from this book about women that you've met? I would love to. Gosh, thank you. And I wish I could, you know, flash up their pictures up here so you could see what they look like. So you could see these are real women. And you know what, Jamie? They are ordinary women like you and I, you know, to look at them, they don't look astounding, but their stories are. So, okay. So let me tell you the story about Farah. I met Farah in Jordan. And she's a Jordanian woman. She is not a refugee because, you know, the, the Syrians have flooded into Jordan during um, that civil war that they had that lasted over 10 years. But when I met Farah, she um, was a brand new follower of Christ. But her story astounded me. So she um, was more of a moderate Muslim. She dressed in a hijab more for fashion than for religious reasons. And she decided that she wanted to marry for love 
She did not want an arranged marriage. She didn't want to you know, necessarily marry a Muslim man. She wanted to choose her own way. But first, she decided she wanted to make some money. And the reason she did is so she could buy really cute shoes and really cute clothes. So for six years, she works. You know, but Jordan has this strange law that as a single woman, if you're working and you're and you're not married, the government keeps back part of every paycheck and they save it for you until you get married. Very nice of them. Okay, I see. Mm -hmm. Right. So one day Farrah gets a phone call that changes her life forever. Her dad calls and he says, Farrah, we've got horrible news. Your um, mother's cancer is back. And we need money for her cancer treatment. We have nothing. So I've arranged for you to marry a man this week. And basically, he says, Farah, you must marry this man or your mother's going to die. So, you know, in a millisecond, she's worried about her mom. And yet her, wait a minute, I have to marry a man. And you really have to get the book to read all the details because who this guy is, he is a creep. He comes into the place where she works and he is... I mean, he is just really a creep, Um, but she's forced to marry this guy. She does. And sadly, the abuse starts immediately. And um, in fact, when I'll never forget the one example she gave me sitting in her tiny little living room was that she tried everything to, to please this husband who just beat her constantly. And one example was that she would get recipes that her mother-in-law made that her husband would rave over. And she would follow them to a tea, make this special dinner, hoping that that would bring pleasure and less you know, abuse. So he would come home, he would eat that meal, take a bite out of it stand up with that plate in his hand, slap Farah across the face and say, this is disgusting. It's almost as disgusting as you are. And then he would throw that plate, dinner, dinner plate, everything right in the trash can. And that was just one of the ways he would degrade her. So this abuse went on and on and she became so depressed that she wanted to take her own life. The only reason she didn't is because of her two children. And so then the Syrian war starts and all the refugees start flooding into her country. Remember, she's a Jordanian, so she's got a little bit higher status. Um, but inside, she is dark and desperate. And so one day she's at the souk and she, I think she was at the souk. I can't remember actually where she was, but she sees this woman who is an, an, a refugee, tattered clothes, very poor, but she's glowing. And Farah, every time she's, she keeps running into her and she just keeps thinking, what is wrong with this woman? You know, she's a refugee. Look how poor she is. She has nothing. Why is she smiling and I'm not? And she even actually finally went up to her and said that. What's wrong with you? Um, I'm a Jordanian woman. You know, why are you smiling and I am not? And this woman beckoned her, you know, with her finger, come here. And she said, I have a secret. She said, you have a secret. And the woman said, yes, I found Jesus as my savior. And he changed everything. Do you want to hear more? And Farah said she backed up and she heard those words and she said something deep in my heart knew that those words were true. Mm. And so she and Farah began meeting together with one of our national leaders in Jordan. And Farah heard all about who Jesus was, how we loved her, how we died for her, how he is the way to true happiness in this life, but eternal life in heaven. And then Farah, it wasn't until after she met Jesus that she had a dream, Jamie. You know, so many Muslims have dreams about Jesus before they come to Uh faith in Christ. 
but hers was afterwards. And so now she's um, a, a brand new follower of Christ, but she is ready to get baptized. And you have to understand that this is a line in the sand. Uh-huh. You know, coming to Jesus is one thing. That's a huge step. But if for a Muslim, a former Muslim to want to get baptized, I mean, that is a huge step. And so Farah is going to get baptized and celebrate the Lord's Supper. But the night before she has this dream, and in this dream, she sees a room filled with all these believers, and they're all dressed in white, and they're glowing. So that's how she knows, okay, I am among you know brothers and sisters in Christ. And then she sees a stairway on the side of the um, you know room in her dream. She walks up that stair, and there she sees Jesus, dressed in white, glowing even brighter than ever, all the people of the room. And the first thing he does is he puts a gold crown on her head just as we see in Isaiah 61, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, puts that gold crown on her head and says, Farah, you belong to me. Then he puts a piece of bread in her mouth and he says, Farah, I love you. You are mine. And she wakes up and that is the day that she is baptized. And the reason I'll wrap up quickly with this story, the reason I share that part of it is when she was baptized, she said, I went in that water. And I mean, I knew it was regular water, but she said, I felt like Jesus not just, you know, washed my outside, but he cleansed the inside of me, made me brand new. And when she came out out of the water, she said, I didn't, you know, try to squeeze the water out of my hair. I wanted it to stay on me as long as it could. And she said she knew she was a completely different woman after that. In fact, she stopped wearing the hijab, took it off. And the next time her husband went to slap her across the face, "Mm -mm -mm." no, she said, I'm a follower of Jesus. You cannot do that to me anymore, which typically would just bring more abuse. But something happened. The Spirit of God came upon her husband. And do you know that he has not beat her up again since she has come to faith in Jesus? Kind of a current update Farah's husband is still not a believer. He is um, seeking and asking questions. They've had a third child, um, but she is still waiting for the day for him to come to faith in Christ. You know, I hear Farah's story. I hear the story about Farah and all the women that you had in here, and I just part of it's unbelievable. I'm glad you mentioned that she said, you know, no, you're not going to hit me anymore, because Mm -hmm. that could have brought so much upon her. It could have brought death upon her. I mean, the thing that we have to remember, and I know that you'll talk about this as well, is a lot of these women coming to know Jesus could end their their lives. And in fact, I think one of the women in the book even says, like, I know I'll die for my faith. I'll die eventually because I'm following Jesus. And all of them have to make this decision. I'm willing to die for Jesus. And so way different Mm -hmm. than what we experience here in our Western world. Um, I was going to ask you about um, her husband and, and wondering about that. And my question that I want, before you tell another story is, when a woman does become a follower of Jesus, and a lot of times she has to really be in secret, um, has to like go undercover, underground, all the things. I mean, your book has said, you know, secret agents for Jesus in the Muslim right. world. What are some of the things that a woman would potentially have to endure? We, I mean, we said death, we said beatings, all the things, but what is it, what is, what have you right. seen women endure when they come out with their faith within their families, not just from their, their church group or their community, but within their, with their husbands and fathers and brothers, mm-hmm. I should oh say too. Gosh. 
Yes, so many stories. In fact, the um, the abuse is is and the the threat of death is greater than those like Farah, whose story was yeah. a little unique that he stopped beating her up. Um, gosh, I remember one gal. We don't talk about her and women who risk, but one gal, um, she came to faith in Christ, and um, her husband beat her to where she had so many bruises on her face. And this was also in Jordan, and um, the local police saw her all bruised and said, "What happened to you?" She was with her husband. And and they pushed her enough that she finally said, you know, he did it. Well, he then said, no, 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 no. She, I did this to her because she beats me up. And he actually went home and, and beat himself up, gave himself bruises when he had to report to the police station to say that, look what she's done wow. to me. So we actually had to take this woman and her one-year-old child and we rented an apartment for her for one year to keep her out of um, mm. her husband's, you know, wrath. He really was trying to kill her. Yeah. It wasn't just, I'm going to, you know, abuse you. I'm, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Now, all this time later, that's probably been about three years ago, they finally have divorced, which is not something we want to see happen. Mm -hmm. But because he was so abusive and so unopen to the gospel, um, he is the one that initiated that, and it turned out to be a blessing for her. Wow. And so, you know, lived in hiding. And, you know, we couldn't even tell the people around her, her neighbors, where she was, because so often even neighbors, it can be an, even another woman, yeah. will turn someone in out of fear. Yeah. Um, Real quick, one question that we ask people, Jamie, before they come to faith in Christ from a Muslim background, actually two questions we ask them. One, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Mm -hmm. You know, before you pray. You've had these dreams. You want to know more, but truly, before you pray, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Because that will probably happen. And if they say yes, then we'll say, okay, well, are you willing to die mm. for Jesus? Because that could happen as well. And we know that it has happened. We know people that have lost their lives, mm. people we know. Um, and then when they say yes, if they're still willing to do that, you know, we will pray with them or our, our national leaders will pray mm. with them. But the question we need to ask here in the West is a different question because it's easy for us to say, yes, I, you know, I think I would do that mm -hmm. if I was faced with that choice. But I think the question we need to ask ourselves here is, are we willing to live for Jesus? That's a little harder here where we live. Yeah. I remember reading that in the book and I underlined it and stopped and mm -hmm. just prayed and asked God. Okay. Tell me one more story about a woman from this book um, that you can share with us. Okay. You know, my hardest part on this is I want to tell you all the stories. <laughs> well, I also want and people it, to go buy your book, Joanna. They can the read book, all the books. Right. They can read all the stories. I know. That's true. And I'll shorten them. It's hard to Yes. Yeah. Because there's even more in that one that you just shared. Because yes. let me ask you this. Is this the story where she went and took all of her nice clothes to the refugee place? Yes. See, there's so much more, guys. Go get the book. I know. Okay. You got to get the book. That'd be fun. I know. Thank you. Okay. So let me tell you the story of Shireen. So we met Shireen, goodness gracious, probably, oh, 15, 20 years ago. Okay. She was a teenager. And so Shireen lives in the Gaza Strip. And if you know anything about the Gaza Strip, it is a horrible place. Mm -hmm. It is a scary, dark place. And poor Shireen lives in Darabella Refugee Camp. Mm -hmm. They live in hovels of homes without electricity. They have generators, but life is really tough. Anyway, we ended up um, meeting Shireen and her family. I think there were like 10 kids in her family. And she was like her early 20s. She was in college. And we happened to ask her, Shireen, what is your dream in life? What What is something you want? If you could have anything you wanted in the whole world, what would you want? And she thought for a minute, remember, this is a sparkling little, you know, college age girl. And she goes, I want to finish university. And then I want to save. It'll take me several years, but I want to save and I want to get a laptop computer. 
And I remember Tom and I just stopped and thought, gosh, a laptop, mm. that is her greatest desire. You know, the, the bar is low with where they live in this poor place. So anyway, we come home, you know, back to the States and Tom and I speak in different churches around the country. And, and he happened to be sharing that sweet story of Shireen. And after the service, someone walked up to us and said, I just bought a brand new computer last night. And while I was listening to you, God said, give it to Shireen. And Tom's like, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I wasn't asking for a computer. I was just really sharing the story. And he said, no, no, no. I am so compelled that I feel like I want to give this to her. So we go show up the next time about a year later, year and a half later. There we are finding our, trying to find our way in these, you know, little narrow little roadways to try to find where um, Shireen's house was. We come in there. They all are, you know, there's her whole family. And they're shocked to see us a second time. That we from America, who, you know, mm. we're ordinary people, but to them, why are you coming to see us? Yeah. And so we asked her, Shereen, do you remember your live stream? She goes, oh, yeah, computer. And, you know, we pull it out. We hand this to her. And we said, look, at Jesus has provided this computer for you, this laptop. And you would have think we would have given her like keys to a brand new car right. or something. She was over, overcome. Immediately, this is back in those days, you know, when, when email was really the only way to communicate. She's emailing us and she's telling us all these things of, you know, how she's worshiping Jesus. Because I have to tell you, let me back up. We put every conceivable <laughs> Christian program on that computer. Right. You know, the Bible, the Jesus film, yeah. you know, Magdal all the things. And so we're hearing from her constantly. Tom comes back. He up and he goes, there again by himself um, and was speaking at a church, invited Shireen. She shows up with the cousin and he gets up to speak and then um, finds out when he sits back down, she kind of hits him on the leg, I'll never forget, and says, good job, Tom Doyle, after his sermon. And he said, you like that? And she said, yes, of course I like that because I'm a follower of Jesus. And we were floored that through all of those programs on the computer, this young Muslim girl living in the Gaza Strip of all places in a refugee camp mm. found Jesus as her savior. Well, fast forward now, this is many years later, we continue to have a thriving, growing relationship with precious Shireen. Her sister now has come to faith in Christ. She was like five years old when we met her. And she is a force in the Gaza Strip, sharing Jesus with everyone she meets, not afraid, carries this incredible holy boldness. And then Shireen's husband, though, uh, Mohammed, was not a believer. You know, she marries a guy that's a Muslim, forced to marry him, of course. They have four children. He treats her terribly. And so in our book, In Women Who Risk, we even say toward the end of the chapter, pray for Mohammed, which is praying for half of, you know, the Muslim world. <laughs> right. <actually. Yeah>, yeah. <laughs> but pray for Mohammed's salvation. Well, praise the Lord. Oh my gosh, Jamie, about a year ago, actually in August, it will be a, a year, Mohammed accepted Christ. Tom and I get a phone call from Shireen. I'll never forget. We're sitting in front of a house getting ready to go into a dinner. And she calls in tears and says, Mohammed is ready. He's ready. And so, you know, we're asking him questions. You know, you're ready to suffer. Yeah. You know, you're ready to die. Do you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? He gives his life to Christ. And let me just tell you about Mohammed today. He and Tom text almost every day via WhatsApp. And he sends the most incredible text that initially Tom said, Mohammed, where are you getting these words that you're, sh you're sharing? Yeah. And he said, well, Tom, I'm, I'm writing them. And he's thinking, you know, how are you getting dis discipled, you know, in the yeah. Gaza Strip? Other than our texting, how are you doing this? And he said, well, I'm spending time with my four best friends every day. 
And he said, well, who are your four best friends? We're thinking, who's he know in the Gaza Strip that's a believer? He said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this precious Mohammed is counting the cost for Christ. This last year during Ramadan, um, he was sent in for questioning with Hamas, you know, one of the terrorist groups that runs the Gaza Strip. They wanted him to recant his faith, and he would not do it. So they beat him up and broke his arm. Oh. And uh, Shireen sent us a picture. His arm looked like a, I don't know, you could see it up and down. Yeah. It wasn't a compound fracture, but it, you could see it wasn't a, a straight break either. And all he had on it was a little kind of ace bandage. Mm. And we are just saying, you know, Mohammed, our hearts are just so saddened to see what you're enduring for Christ. Do you know what his response was, Jamie? He said, this doesn't matter a broken arm, a broken bone. He says, the only thing I need to ask myself is did this experience conform me more to the image of Christ? Is that not an amazing (sighs) comment from a man living in the darkest region, one of the darkest regions of the Muslim world, who's only known Jesus, you know, nine months? Yeah. So that is the kind of faith we see of the encounters these folks are having with Christ. You know, Joanne, I I would love to hear from you. I hear these stories and I read them and I'm greatly convicted. I mean, just even when I read in the book, like I told you, where she said, you know, we're willing to die, but are you in the Western world willing to live for Christ? And I had, I did a series, this is what brought me to your book earlier in the year. I did a series on the podcast with about unreached people groups. And so we had four different shows come on. Um, and I talked about this with David Platt, who was on one of the series of just like it, it here in America, it can feel in one sense, very easy to be a Christian. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what do we have to risk? Like what, I'm not going to watch a movie that you're watching. You know what I mean? Like what, what yeah. I might give more of my money away. Like just what is there to risk? And so it feels so easy. But then on the flip side, I think it also feels hard to also be like, I'm going to be all in like Muhammad is, and it looks different here, but I think that takes more from us. So I want to hear from you as someone who has traveled, you, you know, you live currently here in, in the U S mm-hmm. but you have lived overseas and you have traveled a lot and you have all these relationships. I wonder if you could just encourage us here in the States, those that are listening mm. that would say, I want to be like these women. I want to be willing to risk it all knowing that I'm going to go to the grocery store today and I'm going to buy my kids food. And there's mm-hmm. no, there's right. no one with a, with a gun outside my door asking me if I'm following Jesus. You know what I mean? It's just, we don't have yeah. those things. So could you encourage us a little bit? Yes, man. That's a, that's a great um, question, Jamie. Um, you may be too young to remember this. I'm a whole lot older than you are, but do you remember back in the day hearing about the 1040 window? Yes. Yeah. Praying? Yeah. We okay, talk about it still. Okay. Yeah. Huh? Okay. So when Tom was pastoring, that was, you know, a big thing. The 1040 window, Lord, send missionaries to the 1040 window, you know, longitude and latitude on the globe, the most dangerous area on the planet. And we used to pray, God, send missionaries there, Um, you know, reach the lost there. Well, God has answered that prayer in a very unique way. He has brought the 1040 window to us. You know, we look out our windows and the nations are gathered. And those missionaries that we prayed for, they're not the professionals. It's all of us. God has called all of us to reach the nations that are right here in our neighborhood. So one of the messages I love to share with the Western church, the body of Christ, 
is that God has given us this beautiful golden engraved invitation. And it, what is the invitation? It's inviting people to live with Jesus in eternity forever. And we tend to hold that back to ourselves out of fear, out of fear of rejection, people judging us if we say too much, um, you know, being disqualified from something, being uninvited to something. But, you know, as the days are getting darker, and my goodness, Jamie, aren't the days getting darker and darker? Yeah. You know, God is looking for men and women who will walk with a holy boldness, who will represent Jesus in this ever-increasing dark world. So my encouragement to you is we have the hope within us, Scripture says, and we need to share that with everyone we meet with a holy boldness. And what I mean by that is, you know, regular common boldness can be more self-seeking. Um, it can sometimes be arrogant. It can be harsh. Oftentimes when we see bold people, we're kind of, we also almost want to step back. We're not um, drawn to it. Why? Often really it, it, it represents the enemy because it's self-seeking. It's nothing that's really um, positive. It's harsh often. But holy boldness is completely different. Holy boldness, the holy part of that boldness is winsome and it's full of love and joy. It's cloaked in the fruit of the Spirit and it represents the one we are serving, Jesus. So when someone has that holy boldness and shares the hope within them in a loving and winsome and kind way, people are drawn to that. They want to hear what you have to say. And that doesn't mean that every time you talk to someone, you go to the four spiritual laws or you get straight on the Roman road, you know, all those little ways where we get straight to the gospel. But we scatter those gospel seeds of love. And people see that and they start wanting to know more and start asking questions. So I want to encourage all of us, myself included, to on a daily basis, ask mm-hmm. God to give us the courage yeah. to live with holy boldness with whoever crosses our paths it's, and wherever we are. It's so good. I want to finish our conversation with actually reading a piece from mm-hmm. this book. And the very last woman that you talk about, I believe her name is Katie. Yes. And you got to go read her story, you guys, because she had to flee her her home because of her yes. faith. And so I, I want to read this last part. This is actually her um, speaking to, I mean, this is actually her. This is her words, what I'm about to read, I believe, the, the last part of this book. It says this. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, she left for the West. That's where she, she picks up. She left Lebanon for the West. And this is, this is what she said. She said, because of the many refugees and immigrants from Muslim areas coming to Western countries, this is an unprecedented time to reach out to them with the love of Christ. This is what you were just talking about. She says, Muslims who settle in new places often feel unwanted, unloved, and overlooked. I can certainly relate to those feelings. As a Muslim woman, I felt the same way Amina did before Jesus rescued her. I felt invisible at times, but Elari, the God who sees, saw me and saved me. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that where you live, Muslims, especially women, want to be seen. They feel invisible, especially if they've mm-hmm. been wearing Islamic coverings. Our ministry friends in the West often say, the Muslims are coming, the Muslims are coming, the Muslims mm-hmm. are here, so what are we going to do about it? Jesus brought them to the cities we live in, and it's a great opportunity to see Muslims come to faith in Christ. Reach out to them by simply starting a conversation. Mm-hmm. That will lead to a friendship that leads to sharing the amazing words of the life Jesus offers. Let's reach them together for Jesus. Would you join me in praying that millions of Muslims would give their lives to Jesus and that many mm-hmm. of my people in Saudi Arabia would too? I would also be great, very grateful if you would pray specifically for my family. 
from Mecca, Saudi Arabia, where the religion of Islam began 1,400 years ago, I truly am privileged to be a missionary for Jesus to Muslims. And the Muslims Mm. I'm called to reach in serving Jesus Christ, I'm amazed that my mission field is in the USA. And so this last woman's story, she's moved to America. Yes. Now she's married to a Christian man, by the way, to a believer. Isn't that awesome? That is amazing. I can't tell you where she is, of course, but she's here in the U.S. But yeah. That is amazing. amazing? So amazing. So amazing. Well, Joanne, do you have any story that you want to share with us that is not about a woman in this book, but you're just so excited to share? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So excited to share. This just happened, oh, maybe two or three weeks ago. So fresh off the press. And, you know, God is always writing new stories. So like we could write 20 more books just about all these incredible stories. But this is about a name that we will call him Mina, changing his name for security purposes. But he is a pastor, was a pastor in Syria, and he had led a whole family to faith in Christ, all Muslims. And they became so um, on fire for Christ right out of the chute that they wanted to get baptized. And as I told you um, earlier, remember that line in the sand is getting baptized. So this whole family was baptized. Well, somehow the news got out to some of the radicals in Syria. And so our friend Mina and his wife were driving and had to go through a checkpoint. They had to, they looked at their papers. Well, the people at the checkpoint saw their name and they somehow were on a list to arrest them. So they arrested Mina and they took him off. His wife had no idea where they were taking him, took him off to jail. And where they brought them or brought him, Jamie, it was this dilapidated building that had three stories. They took him down, down, down. Under the third story, or I guess the first story, was what they called the dungeon. And that's where they put Mina, in the dungeon. He said he walked down there. He could smell the horrible, disgusting smell. It was dark, 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 dark. He could hear the torture, the hitting, the screaming. He said, I walked down there and thought, this is where I'm going to die. This is where my life is going to end. And they put him in a cell with 36 other people. These men are all Muslims, fanatical Muslims. Some of them are even from ISIS and other terrorist groups. So they throw him in that cell and there he is. And so then, you know, he's in there and um, after five days, he's actually left. We get a phone call during that time from his wife saying, pray for Mina. I, I don't know where he is. I don't know what's going to happen to him. But he gets out, His he meets his wife and he she's of course frantic with worry. And he looks at her and he says, These were the five best days of my life. And she's like, what in the world happened? And so listen to this. This is how this this story really gets exciting. So he said when he got in there, they strip searched him. They took everything. They took his cell phone. They took everything from him. But he had a New Testament. And he asked, can I take my holy book with me? Shockingly, they said yes. Wow. They dress him in his you know, prison gear. They send him down into that horrific room. He said, it is so pitch dark. It's hard to read. Your eyes sort of get adjusted. But he said, they bring in food. They literally threw it through the bars. People are scamping for it like animals. And he said, as they have their little pieces of bread, he thought, well, I'm going to die anyway. So he said, I just asked him, hey, guys, um, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm a religious man. So a man of faith, before we eat, can I pray? They all kind of looked at him and went, who cares? He prayed. And somehow the spirit of God entered that cell. He would sometimes start reading scripture out loud. And he said in the middle of the night, men would kind of, you know, tap him to wake him up and say, when you get out of this place, will you remember me? 
memorize my phone number. Here's my phone number. And he said over those five days, he was able to share scripture with these men. He prayed with them. Several of them gave their lives to Christ in that dark dungeon. So now again, he's let out. Fast forward. Two of those men have now been released and they have given their lives to Christ as well. And so he said, here I thought I was going to my death, and there Christ met me in the darkness, wow. and it was a place of new life. Oh, my gosh. You know, only God can do that. You know, Isn't that an incredible story? That is an incredible story, and only God can do that. That is so amazing. It's so, yes, I know. So and the fact that he remembered those for those yes. numbers, he left his New Testament there with those men when he was released. And so whoever's now in that cell, there's a New Testament hiding down there. Wow, that is so amazing. Well, Joanne, I am just really really, really grateful uh, for the work that you and your husband have been doing for all of these Mm. years and really grateful for this book. I've been talking about it nonstop. And so you guys, everyone needs to go get it. It is so very, very good. Uh, Speaking of books, I'd love to know, what are you reading these days? Ooh, gosh, thank Well, first of all, thank you. We had so much fun writing it. I just finished the best book called The Return of the Gods okay. by Jonathan Kahn. Have you heard of that? No, but I'm so, writing it So do you remember down. the gods in the Old Testament, Baal, Molech, and Azra, the false gods, you know, those demons that the ancient pagans worshipped? What happened to them? Where did they go? And what's happening in our country today? So Jonathan Kahn, who's a Messianic Jew, tells us, and he looks at this incredible parable that Jesus said. Remember, he said, if you have a house and you empty it, you know, if it's filled with the gospel, it's going to flourish. But if you that house remains empty, if you don't fill it with things of God, those seven demons, the demons are going to come back. Seven, seven more will come in their place and they'll be worse than before. And that's a picture of America. We were this Christian nation. All of a sudden, we've emptied it. We've gotten you know, prayer out of our schools, Ten Commandments out of our legal places, all the ways we've pushed God out of our world. So now the ha- empty house is being filled with those same ancient gods, those pagan gods that don't die. And so here they have come changing the way they look and sound. But that's what's taking root in our, in our society today. Yet, wow. Jesus is still on the throne, still setting people free. Um, but anyway, you got to read that book. It is so good. Jesus is still on the throne, setting people free. I love it so much. Joanne, thank you so much uh, for spending some time with us today on the happy hour. Oh, Jamie, thank you. It's been a pure delight to be with you. The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley. 